0: Welcome to the ACR Bulletin Podcast, the show where we examine the latest trends affecting radiology. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today's discussion will center on a subject called health equity. As part of the ACR's centennial celebration from 2023 to 2024, this episode is dedicated to looking at the future landscape of radiology. And there's no more fitting way to examine the specialty's future than through the lens of health equity. A topic of much interest today throughout the medical industry, health equity is coming to play an increasingly important role in patient-centered care delivery and physician reimbursement. To help us gain a better understanding of how health equity can be incorporated into radiology, we've invited two experts in the field to discuss this fascinating topic today. Uh, Elizabeth Kwam is the founder and board member at the Imaging for a Cause Foundation, or ICF. I'll just refer to it as ICF, if that's okay. Uh, the ICF is a charitable imaging foundation closely affiliated with the Radiology Business Management Association, or RBMA, and it targets patient populations underserved by the specialty. OGE okay, OKK okay, okay is Program Director Cancer Programs at the Primary Care coalition, coalition, or PCC, if it's okay if I call it that the pfs the, the pcc works with clinics hospitals healthcare providers and other community partners to coordinate healthcare and related services for people experiencing experiencing vulnerability ms okk manages the pcc's programs for mammography and cancer screening for low income individuals it's such a pleasure speaking with both of you today Well, To get us started, uh, Ms. Kwam, or Liz, if I may, um, can you please give us a bit of a background on the the ICF and also explain the Foundation's connection to radiology?
1: Yes, thank you, Chris. Imaging for Cause Foundation is a 501c3 charitable organization that partners, helps to match uh, local community clinics called federally qualified health centers with uh, willing radiology groups, imaging centers, uh, that are willing to contribute um, some charitable imaging. Sometimes it's uh, low fee, and sometimes it's uh, no fee. Uh, It's popular, it's 15, a good 15 years old. It's been very popular with both the radiologists and especially the staff, uh, because they know that they're doing a good thing with what they're doing. Um, while still it is administratively simple to run. So um, almost all the radiologists, all the the imaging centers that uh, began 15 years ago are still going strong and have really strong ties to their local community clinics because of the program.
0: Excellent. Well, same question to you, uh, Ms. Okeke, or Oge, O'ke, if I may. Um, please, please provide some background on the PCC and its involvement with radiology.
1: Absolutely.
2: Um, so thank you so much, Chris. PCC was founded, I and mean, you know this, but they were founded in 1993 by a group of physicians and public health um, specialists who really looked for having a community where every resident had access to high-quality health care. Um, and they envisioned where you know healthcare was made available to people with low income and who had health disparities and limited resources to funding and um, experienced health equity due to structural racism or other determinants socially that allow having barriers to achieving health care. So PCC was formed in order to be um, an organization to see that vision come to fruition. And so we work at a patient level and at a system level as well to help disrupt that cycle connecting people to services that they desperately need. And in the past, um, the clinics that we've worked with in the community have been really the only resource for a lot of patients that we serve to get access to mammograms um, through the breast and cervical cancer programs in the county. And we've worked on how how do we make those processes better. And in the last 10 to 11 years, um, putting these processes in place, the county has seen our work and funded a lot of the mammograms that we do. And that funding has allowed us to now start to look at some of the barriers that people have in getting access to mammograms um which one of them is making appointments and we're going to get to talk about that later on um but there are other barriers like language barriers and things like that so we really specialize in being able to lend our expertise to bridge the gap um and through our partnerships and so we get to partner with radiology centers um you know, in order to break that gap, um, the Adventist Healthcare Imaging was like one of the first radiology centers that we partner with um, to address that gap. And now we, you know, we have a very good partnership with them and community radiology associates to help to get our patients the service that they need.
0: And, and forgive my ignorance, but is that is that, a, you have a national scope in your work? It's not just regional or, or state level, correct?
2: So we really focus on the state level as the um, Montgomery County patients, but, you know, we serve all patients in Maryland.
0: I see. Thank you for setting me straight on that. I appreciate it. Liz, back to you. As I understand it, radiology groups that work through the ICF and a local federally qualified health center can uh, are offered reduced fees or even free care uh, for their patients. Uh, you know who are referred from a doctor. So I was wondering if you could please explain, you know, why this is and and, and how this is in line with uh, health equity.
1: Well, one of the things that radiologists don't like to hear is that it's hard to do good in this country. And the reason is is because of the Stark, the federal Stark laws, that um, have this nasty little thing for for good reason. It's in there, uh, but it's called inducement to referral. And it, even the Office of the Inspector Inspector General has even snagged some uh, physicians who have been just trying to do good with. Um, taking patients that are definitely needed. Uh, but if, if the patient is referred by a physician that refers another patient, uh, a paying patient, uh, they can get nicked, they can get into legal trouble. What's so golden, absolutely golden about the partnership with the federally qualified health centers is that they have the FQHCs have a safe harbor within the Stark lot. and it's the most amazing thing to read. If anyone wants to nerd out and read it, but basically, um, uh, radiologists and their staff don't have to worry about if the if the patient is referred through the um, community clinic. Uh, you don't have to worry uh, about any about the. OIG, the Office of the Inspector General or anybody else that's federal. And that is a very, very valuable uh, thing uh, um, uh, to, to put in place when you are looking at how to help out.
0: And and presumably the to, to draw that out a little bit that's uh, that increases access for people who may otherwise not have access to care correct I mean that's I, to me that's where the health equity and and that idea kind of coalesce but is that
1: how you look at it Yes and and the 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 reason it's so uh, important for the radiology community and for the community clinics is they've had the community clinics clinics have had a really tough time getting the advanced imaging, the MRI or the CT. They can um at their um at their local clinic, they might have an x-ray, but that is it. So uh, and there are mammal mammography programs in many places in the country, but there just is no way uh to get that when that hip is displaced to get any kind of imaging they just can't get it there's no access
0: That's so interesting and so important. Oh, well, uh, okay, if I can um, turn back to you now. The, when the PACC was created back in 1993, uh, its founders envisioned a dependable source of care for people with low incomes and, and no health insurance, uh, kind of the same cohort of folks that uh, Liz was just kind of mentioning. Um, so to deliver on this vision, they sought to develop a framework, as I understand it, that, that shared uh, responsibility for providing that. Care across the public and private sectors, which I find so fascinating that there's that that overlap. Um, can you please explain how this shared responsibility actually works in the you know day to day world, and and how it fits, in your opinion, into like a health equity framework?
2: Oh, absolutely, Chris. So we are able to secure grants um, from the government to work with clinics to administer care through multiple initiatives within primary care. For Living, for instance, our BCTP grants where. We're working really hard to get women on um, screen for breast and cervical. We have a couple of colorectal grants as well that where we're helping clinics with process improvement, looking at their data so that they can improve on um, their processes for colorectal screening and get more screenings done. And so we really work collaboratively with the clinics and providers, including not just process improvement, but lending our expertise from here, CCC, and making connections in community, connecting the community to resources that they need. So in my opinion. It really fits into the health equity um, scope and framework because through these grants and these partnerships with the government, um, the clinics, and all the other providers that we collaborate with, we serve the disadvantaged, uninsured, underinsured, and minor- minority population um, that otherwise are not have access to care, making sure that there's equitable sharing of these resources and access to high-quality healthcare.
0: So interesting. And and again, that's all pretty much all self-contained within Montgomery County, Maryland, it sounds like. For you, youth,
2: you sort or, of yes but tight, you' tightly heart, connected yes, again but we definitely we have a strong presence in Montgomery County because you know we are funded by the county mm. um and but we do serve patients across Maryland, but we have a very strong presence in Montgomery County and a lot of our patients um are are in Montgomery County
0: interesting well one thing that really stood out to me when re- researching the, um ICF uh you know uh, Liz is that um the fact that the program is uh, and, and again, you can you can correct me on any of this because I did just did my research ahead of time. So I'm I'm kind of learning in real time with our audience, which is so much fun. But um the, the the program is designed to be administratively simple. So I you know, a lot of people might look at that and say, Well, why would that jump out to you? But you know, at first glance that might not be seem like a defining effect you know, feature of your work, but in my experience, some of the pushback against incorporating health equity kind of initiatives into care delivery is that it's just one more thing that the physicians have to do on top of their already very considerable workload, especially in this kind of post-pandemic uh, world we're in, where, where so many patients are presenting with so many more profound problems. So, um, you know, can you please explain how you've engineered the program and maybe you're even in the process of of still doing it, but to minimize that administrative burden on the participants?
1: Um, i I'm pleased to do so because it's the reason there's been such a um, long-term commitment to the program by those who are participating. So what once the, um, we'll call it a radiology group, sometimes they're with the hospital. So the hospital is part of the uh, partnering. Sometimes it's an independent imaging center. Once ICF has matched um, the radiology group and the Uh, community clinic, Um, um, they're given, I'm going to call it a payer number, because everybody understands a payer number in RIS, and that payer number, um, with it, the referral comes, and then only the clinical paperwork follows uh, the patient along. So when it gets into the RIS, the radiology information system, um, it the RIS knows not to do any billing yeah. or sometimes it's reduced billing. But in most cases, most radiology groups have just said, yeah, we'll just um, donate these services. And, and then um, the RIS, as well as the, the community clinic, both track the patients. So the radiology group can say, I'll take six patients. We have, um, we have Seattle and Minneapolis Uh, radiology groups taking 24 patients in the Puget Sound area, 18 patients a month in Minneapolis. So, um, and and they can work it right into the uh, regular workflow of of the group. Now, when the radiologist um, looks at that scan or sees that patient, he or she knows that patient has been vetted um, physically, by uh, providers at the community clinic and uh, it's been they've been vetted financially so you know these are the people that really need it and because it's at the community clinic that the referral has come, there's data that shows that it's a high group of minority folks that are represented in the by the FQhC their data is because they're, their qualification under federal guidelines, they have to report uh, um, their the, the type of patients that they see. So it's all transparent. So the radiologists can feel very comfortable that they are donating their services to patients that really need it. And then a side note to that is both the staff and the radiologists, Um, I've heard so many anecdotal stories about how some of these patients are just really a mess by the time they get to the imaging because there just has not been access to it. And so the radiologist will get a call from the referring physician or MP or whatever's at the community clinic just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the staff will hear over and over again how thankful the patient is to be there.
0: And that's, and that's just because it's been such an ordeal just to get there. It yes. sounds like, okay. Yes. Okay. And are you finding that all across the, now um, ICF does have a national scope. Uh, it sounds, uh, you know, from my research and in, in what you're saying, yeah. but is, are you finding that across the board, you know, Absolutely. nationwide, it's the same. Ab- yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And again, that's why it's been such a long standing program is because mm. there is such a Uh, commitment to it by the people that are offering the services.
0: So interesting. Well, um, now if we could switch focus a little bit back to to the pcc okay I, I kind of dug into your all's um, strategic plan a little bit <laughs> in my uh, research for this episode and it's it's so interesting um so among other priority areas I, I you know two components that that one often finds and i i you know research a lot about health equity and population health and whatnot but a lot of the two two areas you always find re- that recur in this kind of work is patient education and physician education for that matter and data analysis um, and these two areas, of course, figure prominently in P- PCC's uh, strategic plan, too. So, okay, I was wondering if you could please ex- expand on the importance of those t- efforts and, and, and feel free to embellish and, and add any more that you th- think are important from your strategic plan, but uh, to accomplishing PCC's mandate and how you deploy them in your work. And, and I, I would just ask you to maybe pitch it towards people who are interested in this kind of work, but maybe don't know where to get started. Um, because I think it's uh, on its face, it's like, oh, everybody should be doing this. But when you start digging into it, it is pretty complicated. So um, with all that in mind, if you could uh, just give us some some picture of how that all works.
2: As part of um, our efforts at Primary Care Coalition towards improving processes, patient education and data analysis are really at the forefront of the work that we do. And this evidence-based approach, this evidence-based intervention, um, we've seen really works where a patient is empowered with information, not just about um, their care and the what about their care, but the why. And this really makes sure that they're able to now take accountability for themselves, for their care, for their lives, and be a part of the outcome. And I think that that's really what's necessary, like, taking everyone along where we are sharing responsibility, not just, you know, with the private and the public sector, but also with the patients themselves, even though we're helping to deliver care. And that's been a huge part of our initiative with all our process improvement efforts. And you know in terms of data analysis our IT department collects data from all our clinics that we work with and these this data is reviewed quarterly by the medical directors of the clinics um the breast cervical and colorectal screening benchmarks um, are part of the measures that are viewed in the clinic data tables and to make making sure that our targets are met right um with data you're able to know you use that data we really use that data for a lot of things one of the biggest things is to apply for more funding right, to be able to serve a larger number of people. And it says as an indication of what's really going on at the um, primary care level um, and where the need is and where we need to go next. And so I think it's really important that as we're thinking about, you know, data data um, analysis and patient education and how that really plays a part in our internal workflows, it can be separated from the work that we're doing. And so thinking, finding ways to really integrate that in our day-to-day um has really become something that has become really impactful in us being able to do the work and see the kind of results that we're seeing. And so I really will encourage, you know, um, organizations and entities as you're thinking about, you know, how do we really think about health equity when it comes to these two important um, scopes? You know, it's really almost um, inevitable to, to not, it's inevitable to Not have to think about patient education or data analysis and how to integrate that. Especially if this is taken, if a collaborative approach is taken, is unavailable to not think about those. Actually, think about health equity. I think they really work hand in hand, and hopefully that answers your question, Chris.
0: It does. That's so interesting, and it's it's refreshing to hear that data drives so much of what you all do, whether it's the analysis part of it or whether it's the education part of it, empowering patients. Uh, I just think that's that's very effective. So it's 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 interesting to hear that. Well, Liz, uh, you know, same question to you. I mean, how how do you all use data to inform your work uh, at the ICF?
1: Thank you, Chris. Uh, the data is very important, um, especially on something that is charitable, uh, because the folks that are involved want to know um, what they've done. So again, I'll go back to I was talking about the RIS. So anything that's captured in the radiology information system then is run on that quote unquote referral or payer number, meaning the FQHC. So any data that you collect on other patients, you've got it all right there. Um, I'll use the Minneapolis group. Uh, They looked at it every time the radiologist group met. Um, They could see how many patients they had seen, what kind of patients, what kind of imaging it was. Um, And then on the flip side, you've got the community center, uh, the FQHC, that's also collecting data, um, uh, both on if there was any um, help, any kind of other charitable help or government intervention, you've got all of those stats already there. So again, there's a comfort level with it all. One more thing um, that I'd like to mention as it relates to the data is that data on the community center side is then reported out anonymous for the patients. But it's reported out usually in their annual report. And the radiologist group is often um, recognized, uh, maybe in the the annual dinner or else in the annual printed report. So that becomes something that um, the radiologist group can show uh, to other, including payers, so that so that they can sh- show that they're a part of the community, but it's also been very helpful. I know because I did it both in Washington and at state capitals to lead when you're going in to talk about a radiology policy issue, to lead with saying, "Hey, we're part of the community and this is what we're doing," and so and there's credibility with it because it's coming from the community center.
0: That's such an interesting point because, you know, we think of community um community leaders and 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 you know, ma- maybe community uh, members who are kind of a liaison between the healthcare sector and the 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 citizens or the people in the community, but sometimes those are doctors themselves or radiologists themselves. And I think those that's a less uh appreciated fact. So it's so interesting that you kind of framed it that way, Liz. Um and especially in this era of social determinants of health and and how important those are becoming to. Even things like reimbursement, like physician reimbursement, it's so great that you are collecting this data um, just for that reason, even too. So, um, so we're coming towards the end of our our uh, conversation here, but I did want to um, before before we sign off here, uh, Oge, okay, I, I had one more uh, quick question for you in terms of the PCC. So, um, I. I and this is like so interesting because this is like non-clinical stuff, which I think is going to be so important, and people are not maybe aren't even giving it enough emphasis right now. Uh, but like block scheduling, for instance, um, you you know you arrange block scheduling with radiology practices you partner with to, to reduce that burden. Same kind of thing we were talking about with Liz, uh, just kind of different format here. Uh, oh. Reduce that burden for for patients on the patient side, making their own appointments and in turn, eliminating this barrier to radiologic care. I was wondering if you could just kind of, you know, give us a brief understanding of, you know, uh, maybe similar examples uh, that, that maybe, you know, again, people who are kind of interested in dipping their toe in the water of health equity, maybe something that that they can do that's made, I don't wanna say low hanging fruit, but something that is achievable uh, and, inc- but it, at the same time, increase access to care. Is there, is there anything other like that that you all do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So thanks, Chris. We started the block of appointment systems honestly um, with some of our radiology partners, and um, Advanced Healthcare Imaging became one of the first partners that we liaised with to help to bridge that gap of patients actually making an appointments. And we found out that the more um, patients are more likely to come to appointments when they actually leaving the clinic with. Um, an appointment too, right? And so we still do set help to set up appointments um, with the clinic and the radiology centers, helping them work out the details and um, how the referral process workflow will work, language provisions and things like that. And so, you know, I think we really work closely with the clinic and have our specialists really become a support system for the clinics. And, you know, I mean, I know that a lot of this thing is based on funding and... <clears throat> right. A lot of this is based on funding and the ability to actually support, you know, your staff's time. But we found that that, you know, when this the clinic, the sickness clinics feel supported, they're really able to provide better care. And so we've just started to look for ways that we can truly find more effective ways to collaborate. Um, and one of the ways that we've done that is having our people actually go out to the clinic and support them and make sure that we're reinforcing the work we're reinforcing on um, the processes because a lot of times you see that the clinics are way more, um, they have way more demand than they have resources. And so they really do need that support. So where, you know, there are entities that are able to provide that, I would say, why not? And so that's something that we do ourselves.
0: So walking the walk instead of just talking the talk. That's great. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with both of you. I'm wondering uh, where can people find you online if they, they'd like to continue this really important conversation? Uh, Liz, starting with you?
1: Um, they can go to the RBMA website, Radiology Business Managers Association, and there's a link to Imaging for a Cause Foundation.
0: Excellent. And okay.
1: Um,
2: you can find us at primarycarecoeliving.org. Um, and, you know, I'm active on LinkedIn, so you can definitely get a hold of us in on one of those two avenues.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And for our viewers, if you have any ideas for future show topics, please let us know on Twitter at uh, at radiology ACR and use the hashtag, hashtag ACR bulletin podcast. I also have to check out all of our past episodes at Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, and please be sure to subscribe to ACR's YouTube channel to see our latest episodes. And please do hit that like button if you found this valuable, this video valuable today. Uh, thanks again to both of you. We really appreciate it. And you'll have to come back and uh, update us in the near future.
2: Such a pleasure. Thank you. Chris.
0: Thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners. This has been the ACR bulletin podcast. See you next time.